Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the music of Mexico. Today, two works on the slab by two great Mexican composers, Huapango, which we just played a part of, by Jose Pablo Moncayo, and Sensimaya by Silvestre Revueltas. Also one work by the great North American composer and, incidentally, great Mexican tourist, Aaron Copeland, El Salon, Mexico. Exploring them side by side, hopefully, we can get a very real sense of the hallmarks, or at least some of the hallmarks, of Mexican music. Compulsive use of rhythm, big-hearted tunes invariably drawn from the folk tradition, melodies straight from the soil, you might say. We're going to revel in the almost visceral response this music engenders, where the evolution of Western music has spent a lot of energy sublimating our physical response. Mexican music forces it out of you. I challenge you not to feel even mild hip sway as we play. First up then, Huapango, a piece written in 1941 by Jose Pablo Moncayo, the youngest of these three composers, arguably the last great nationalist Mexican composer who died in 1958. Nationalist in that he looked to his country's heritage for uh, melodic and rhythmic inspiration. Incidentally, a Huapango is actually a lively dance of Spanish origin. The etymology of the word is uh, slightly complex, but it may come from a native Mexican word meaning on a wooden stand. In other words, the huapango was danced on a wooden platform. Its essential quality is constant fluidity between duple and triple meters, between two and three, always alternating these rhythmic patterns. Here's a famous example. So, a huapango through the eyes and ears and imagination of an American, of course, Leonard Bernstein, the start of the chorus from America of West Side Story. Right, well, look, back to Moncayo's huapango. I'm going to show you the three melodies that feature in the work. They're all folk tunes, the first two of which, El Sikisiri and El Balajú, are examples of sones yarajos, types of song originating from Veracruz in Mexico. The most famous example of this style, incidentally, is La Bamba. The third is an interloper, El Gavilan from Venezuela, meaning either a bird who's the keeper of pineapple trees or a boy who is a precocious musician. That is a form of joropo, a dance style resembling the waltz. Have a listen to these three. We'll put them more or less back to back, and in particular to the rhythms they throw up. El Sequisiri. Next tune, El Balahu. And finally, El Gavilan. What do those three tunes have in common? Well, they're all certainly pretty Moorish, 
but they also feature plenty of repeated notes and above all, very distinctive rhythms. And in order to illustrate those rhythms, I'm going to ask the BBC Concert Orchestra, who joined me today, to down tools for a minute, and we're just going to explore, let's say, the principle three through clapping alone. So first of all, I'm going to ask the strings of the orchestra to clap 6-8, that is, six quavers to the bar, with natural emphasis on the first quaver and the fourth, two in a bar, effectively. Okay, now over the top of that, I'm going to put a three-beat texture. Fill the two. One, two, one, two. Here's three over the top. So far, so good. Of course, in the extract from Bernstein's West Side Story we played for you just now, you got two and then three side by side. Da 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 da. Whereas here in Moncayo and in so much other Mexican music, they're actually placed as we did then on top of each other. Here's another variant. This time, strings once again clapping six eight two in the bar, each beat divided into three. And I'm going to ask the others to put a duplet figure over the top. That's two in the time of each three that the strings have. Here's the duplet. One final strain, which was thrown up by those first three folk tunes that we heard just now. The strings, once again, bless them on the 6-8 figure, two beats to the bar, each one divided into three, and all the others with quite a cute rhythm, which we'll put over the top in a minute. Here's the basic 6-8. Now have a listen to this. I particularly like the combination of those last two rhythms. There's something very infectious, essentially, about that, that rhythm that's interposed over the top, because it slightly throws things off balance, because it's got an accent in an odd place. We'll be exploring that style of rhythm an awful lot more later on. Well, those rhythms between them make up the essence of Huapango's style, and Moncayo revels in it. I'm going to play his introduction now, which is 60-odd bars long, where there's no melody, really, just rhythm and harmony. One long, slow-burn crescendo, and right from the off, in the percussion, you can hear how he drizzles in his core rhythmic device, three over the top of two. Now here come the horns, just two chords, tonic, dominant. Slow build. So as you can hear, he's driving the temperature up, then a little bit of cooling, and then driving it up again. It's very compelling, like all great dance music. 
And all just based on those two chords, tonic and dominant. Why? Because they're the two chords for his first tune, El Sequisiri, remember? He's bedded the backdrop to the tune in our minds, if you like, the accompaniment, before, 60-odd bars later, finally revealing it. What you just heard the trombones doing there was that very seductive duplet device. Da, 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 da. Now, a big question for all composers. How do you treat pre-existing tunes? It's somehow not enough just to quote a folk tune verbatim as it originally was. And we find this again and again today. It's through giving a tune a new voice, manipulating it, that stops it becoming simply a stale copy. So, Moncayo there very simply chops the theme up. You get a phrase, then a gap, then a phrase, and then a gap, and so on. And having shared the theme between trumpet and trombone, as you heard, Moncayo now shares it, does a kind of call and echo between different sections of the orchestra. He revels in these kinds of big color shifts. And out of nowhere, almost arbitrarily, there's sudden emancipation from the two-chord wheel. We found a new key. Sweet relief. There's another rhythmic variant which has already been hinted at and now comes into sharp focus in the oboes and clarinets. Have a listen. Now, let me just show you what unfolds around that, and you sense Mankayo's absolute delight in assembling what you might call polyrhythmic textures or structures. In other words, a lot of the time, the principal rhythms are denying strong beats. And I suppose that is a key reason why Mexican dances like a huapango, certainly this one, are so intoxicating. They subvert the strong beats, which makes it exciting and potentially just a little dangerous. <laughs> You might have noticed that Moncayo has just bounced us through two more keys. A strong element to the lingua franca of this style is to jump to a different key, just as you might slap unrelated things together in a collage. 
It's attractive, especially as the prevailing wisdom in the evolution of Western classical music has invariably been to approach new keys by degrees, seamlessly. Enter theme two, El Balahu, more delicately presented this one, and kind of jaunty. It's using duplets, which make it feel both furtive and capricious. It's almost got a stammer. I was talking just now about abrupt key changes, changing gear without the clutch, bracing. More or less at the climax of this first section, the piece is in three sections, by the way, Moncayo uses different means to change key, banking one note on top of another, a third at a time. I'll show you. Now three notes and six notes higher, and so on. Hey presto, a new key out of a melange made up of the root note, the third above, the fifth above, the seventh above, the ninth, the eleventh, and the thirteenth. A rhythm we've had a lot of is da 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 da, as you've heard, and that groove now becomes a melody in its own right. There's little features like this which become the main binding agents to the work. This melody, this new melody, with that rhythm, is the third of the folk tunes that we heard earlier, the Venezuelan El Gavilan. And it creates a kind of meditative middle eight in the music. Downtime. But, of course, it's still driven by restless rhythm. And we're back up to speed into the third and final section. Now, by now, you've heard a number of very 
Mexican or at least Latin American percussion sounds. Alistair Malloy is the principal percussionist of the BBC Concert Orchestra. Alistair, can you just talk us through these instruments? Well, in addition to our conventional instruments, bass drum, snare drum and xylophone, we have four instruments from South America, all of which have very primitive origins. I have in my hands the claves, claves, basically two sticks made of very hard wood, rosewood in this instance. And by resting one over my cupped hand, which is going to work as a resonating chamber, and striking it with the other, we get this very distinctive piercing sound. We also have, called for in the score, the tamburo indiano. Now, this is a very vague term, Indian drum. Uh, all South American drums really evolved from skins stretched over hollowed-out logs, hollowed-out tree trunks. What we've chosen to use in this instance is a calf skin over a cylindrical drum uh, called a tumba. Sounds like this. And we're playing it with sticks rather than the traditional hands, just to give that particular colour there. Um, the only instrument that we're using in which is common to all three pieces uh, today, is the guiro. Now, this is an instrument which would have evolved from a hollowed gourd uh, or a hollow tree branch or a bone, perhaps, with grooves cut into the top, giving a serrated edge. And when you scrape it with a stick, it sounds like this. And finally, the score asks for sonajas. Now, this translates as rattle or shaker. And, of course, there are countless different variations of this. would have evolved from perhaps a gourd with the seeds inside rattling or even a dried seed pod, something like that. We had to look really quite carefully at the writing for the sonajas to decide what instrument to use. And we've chosen to use some very clear maracas. Thank you, Alistair. Well, inevitably, the first big tune is back as the piece thunders home. Do you remember its last phrase? Here it is in blistering augmentation, blazing in slow motion. And this from the first theme. Becomes a very satisfying tailpiece. So what do we have? Big primary colours, block chords, sudden swaggering shifts, open-hearted, sunny accounts of native Mexican folk music. Pizzazz, swagger, not a little testosterone, but above all else, vital rhythm. This is Moncayo's world. I'm going to conduct the BBC Concert Orchestra now in a performance of Huapango by José Pablo Moncayo. A common thread to our exploration today, as well as Mexico per se, is the Mexican composer and conductor Carlos Chavez, who did so much in the 20th century to put Mexican music on the world map.
encouraging his colleagues, but also luring in outsiders like Aaron Copeland, as we'll see a little later on. He taught Moncayo, but an exact contemporary of his was Silvestre Revueltas, the polar opposite in many, many ways. Chavez invariably based his laconic modal melodies on Amerindian folk music. Revueltas was more interested in dragging us back to our atavistic past with music of ritualistic Dionysiac power. He had a tragic life and a combination of poverty and alcohol cut short his brilliant career in 1940. It's somehow very appropriate that his first name, Silvestre, means wild or untamed in Spanish, and Revuelta means a revolution, a fight, or a turning point. So, his work, Sensei Maya of 1938, is a totally compelling symphonic poem, really, inspired by a Cuban poem of Nicolas Guillén about the ritual killing of a snake. Repetition is the name of the game. Close European cousins are Ravel's Bolero, but especially Stravinsky's The Rite of Spring, another work delving into the primeval past. But repetition and variation are brilliant devices to build narrative in music. Chavez once gave it a wider context. He said, the idea of repetition and variation is like the notion of constant rebirth, of true derivation, a stream that never comes back to its source, a stream in eternal development, like a spiral. Well, repetition for Revueltas here is mantra-like. An incantation in Guillain's poem is, I quote, Mayombe, bombe, mayombe, mayombe, bombe, mayombe. Now, if you scrutinize that phrase, you find it's got eight beats. Mayombe, bombe, mayombe. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Which is all well and good. Clearly, Revueltas wants to use this in some kind of mantra-like way in this music, right from the, from the off. But he doesn't want to write music in an equal number of beats. He wants bars which are uneven. He wants to do 7-8, not 8-8. So I think what he does basically is to take the mai off the front. And so you get yombe, bombe, mai, yombe, yombe, bombe, mai, yombe, yombe, bombe, mai, yombe. There it is. Now underneath this, effectively a constant oily trill in the bass clarinet. It's positively reptilian. Okay, add this ostinato. It's interesting, isn't it, that ostinato in the bassoon, which you can hear in the gloom. It's knotty. It's, I think, the tonal equivalent of tom-toms, or you might say more accurately, the atonal equivalent of tom-toms. It sounds like drums rather than anything resembling melody. Well, it's already pretty clear that if not where this journey is going to take us, at least what sort of journey. It's earth elemental, certainly atavistic, primitive and potent. And out of this primordial soup comes a principal theme, the principal theme in the tuba. It's based mainly around a minor third. And listen carefully to its rhythmic hallmarks. They're going to be key to the whole piece. Thank you. 
As I said, mainly minor thirds in that tuba theme. But did you hear the diminished fourth at the climax? Just have a listen to that little bit of it again. Why do you suppose the Revueltas wanted to use that diminished fourth? Well, quite simply because I think it's unsettling. It gives a sense, perhaps, of the pagan. And again, we find ourselves feeling that connection with Stravinsky, the Rite of Spring, which, of course, itself was plundering the roots of the Russian tradition and finding the sounds which suggest that. So, Revueltas is reaching into the roots of, in this case, the Mayan tradition. Sensimaya is a Mayan word meaning ritualistic song. The Mayan culture, like the Aztecs, are some of the very earliest civilizations. Well, at this point, the horn enters. He also has the minor third, but upside down. Here's a standard minor third. And here it is the other way up. Now, let's put it in the context of his phrase. Another idea, just to store away. In the meantime, Revueltas carries on ruminating over his theme. What do we need next? Injection of some new texture. New texture, same rhythm. How about this fresh ingredient? Strident unison strings. They've got the minor third, it's here. But they've also got the heat of that diminished fourth, that primitive sounding interval, it's here. Add to that the extra protein of timpani, and this music is beginning to bite. The diminished fourth gets even more strident now in blazing horns. As you can see, Revueltas is building his tense narrative using the most minute details. Not an atom of the primary material is wasted. Remember that uh, unison string figure that I showed you? It's played as it originally was. I'm going to count along just to show you where it lies in terms of the bars. So, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, 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 one. And now, brilliantly here, at the point we just got to, he puts in a slightly different part of the bar, which gives that same phrase a completely different set of emphases. Repetition and variation 
constant touch words. I'll show you. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. 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 Right, I'm going to put that together with everything else now. And Revueltas strips it back. Just like a good dance track, in a way, he knows when to remove the heat and then to go for another slow build. His second section, just like we found with Moncayo. Okay, time for something new. Unleash, he thinks, the triplet, enshrined as it was in the core tuba theme. Let's put that with everything else, including a new trumpet melody you'll hear based on the minor third, which actually then goes major for a minute, almost coyly. There is a temporary cessation of all this feverish, inexorable onward motion. Remember the story of this poem that was the inspiration for Sensenmaya. It's the ritualized killing of a snake because the snake has stolen the soul of a girl. So they have to beat the snake to death in order to release the girl's soul. So we get at this temporary cessation two big block chords, effectively a tone apart, an amplified version of the original theme, this bit of it anyway. That da at the end there now becomes the new dominant feature, together with driving brass triplets, da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And it's that da-da-da-da that will provide the explosive full stop at the end of this piece. That could most definitely be the end. Has Revueltas run out of new ways to develop and extend his material? No. All good things come in threes. He strips right back for one final push. And just when you thought you knew where you were, he throws you a rhythmic curveball. What was that? A really uncomfortable bar of 716. That's seven semiquavers. Things don't get much more uneven in this context. It totally throws us off. It's very Stravinskyan, isn't it? Totally like the Rite of Spring.
You might remember that trumpet variant on the minor third, which then was briefly, somewhat coyly, a major third. Here it is, vastly amplified. What a contrast to Moncayo's Huapango. Two sides, if you like, to the Mexican coin. There aren't any big singable melodies here. It's all about fragments, shouts, bursts of ritualistic chant and excited exclamations. What's in common between the two, though, is total immersion in rhythm, however different the results. Aaron Copeland once said the reason why he loved Mexican music so much was because it was, I quote, harsh, flavoursome, screechy, and potentially violent. And that sums up this piece rather well. I'm sure you'll agree. We'll perform it for you now. This is Sensei Maya by Silvestre Revueltas. I'm going to conduct the BBC Concert Orchestra leader, Mr. Charles Mutter. <laughs> 